Did you know electric vehicles still have a 12-volt battery on board? Or that Varta provides 70% of Europe's new cars with the AGM start-stop battery? Become a battery expert. Search Varta e-learning now for free-to-access bite-sized training modules, now including new modules on electric vehicle technology. Hello and welcome to another episode of the PMM Podcast. This episode, I'll be speaking to Rachel Clift, Head of Wellbeing at the automotive charity Ben, about what the charity offers to those in the garage community who are in need of help. I'll also be sharing with you a recent conversation I had with Stuart James, CEO of the IGA. Stuart and I spoke about the CERMI scheme and what it means for the aftermarket. Now, for those of you who don't know, CERMI is the scheme that has been implemented in the EU to allow independent garages to use one portal to get security clearance from all the manufacturers. It's intended to not only save workshops time and effort, but to ensure they have fair access to security-related RMI. I'll take you to Freya for the news and to our friend and colleague Tom Henman, editor of Professional Motor Factor, as usual, later in the episode. Firstly, though, Freya and I popped in at JPEX Automotive to speak to co-owner Stuart about his ride-or-die tool. Here he goes. Hi, my name is Stuart. I'm the owner of JPEX Automotive in King Zhangli, along with my brother Ross. Uh, we specialise in Japanese vehicles, although we do cater for European brands as well. This is a really difficult question to answer because we use lots of different tools in the workshop, but probably having up-to-date manufacturer's data. So we use all data, auto data, and the manufacturer's portals as well for information. Having that is key to diagnosing and repairing vehicles now. Thanks, Stuart. And we'll definitely be hearing more from Stuart in the future. Okay, over to Freya for the news. Thanks, Kieran. Once again, there's a lot to get into this month, so I'll jump right into it. First off, all 180 branches of GSF car parts has been sold by LKQ Corporation to Aperis. Alongside the private equity firm, the Alawalia family has also invested in the parts supplier. This March, Sukhpal Alawalia has returned to the car after parts market, having founded Euro Car Parts back in 1978. Sukhpal has been appointed executive chairman and Steve Horn as chief executive officer, the latter commenting that they will turn the business into a fast growth, sales focused company with our customers, suppliers and team members at its heart. Next up, latest IMI analysis has revealed that 20% of the UK aftermarket population is now qualified to work on some level on EVs bringing the total number up to 45,300. However, the rate of EV qualifications appears to be slowing, with a 36% decline in certifications year-on-year and, compared to the previous six months, there's a 26% drop in certifications. This analysis comes as Prime Minister Rishi Sunak pushes back ban on new petrol and diesel cars by five years to 2035, by which time the IMI predicts the UK will need 185 trained technicians. Transport for London has apologised after 927 drivers in Harrow were incorrectly charged when a ULES camera was pointing in the wrong direction. This forced TfL to switch off the camera before reinstating it into the correct direction and issuing refunds totalling £11,200. The deputy leader of Harrow Council, Marilyn Ashton, has called this unacceptable, incompetent and disgraceful, especially considering how long it took TfL to respond to the complaints she received and the fact the camera wasn't actually in London at all. 
Lastly, some news here from us at PMM HQ. We have launched a new video series called Zero to 60, aiming to give you a fortnightly one minute roundup of the latest from the industry. To view, make sure to follow us over on our Facebook, Instagram or YouTube page. And that's the news this month. And now back to Kieran. Thanks, Freya. A lot going on at the moment, it seems. Health and well-being aren't topics we usually cover in PMM. And that's partly down to a conscious decision. Too often, issues in this industry surrounding mental health come dangerously close to being treated as a tick box exercise. You run an article during Mental Health Awareness Week, and then you don't think much about it again until the next time you have a gap to fill. However, there is no getting away from the fact that in this industry, the automotive industry that is, there are many people struggling. And I say struggling because the challenges can include any number of things, be they mental health related, financial, uh, substance or alcohol abuse, family issues, too often woes come in groups. Luckily, uh, the automotive industry, and that includes all areas, not just the aftermarket, has access to a really fantastic charity who, um, to be honest, I'm sure you're all aware already, they're called Ben. Now, many of you will have got involved with Bangers for Ben recently. Um, some of you will be gearing up for the Ben Ball in December. You may also have caught Ben's Ellen Plumer giving a great seminar talk at last week's Mechanics PMM Live show. I had a lovely conversation recently with Ben's head of well-being, Rachel Clift, on the roof of their office, actually, uh, which was lovely and sunny. We spoke about what positive things the charity is doing to improve both the overall well-being of the industry and the individual well-being of those who reach out to them. The industry has moved in in a in a different direction. We are more able to talk about mental health, but it is still really patchy. Um, and a lot of that is to do with awareness and education. There's still a lot of stigma attached to mental health. And the industry itself, when you look at the kind of makeup, it's, it's heavily male dominant. And um, we know that males in particular are less likely to um, sort of talk about issues around their mental health until it kind of gets to a stage where they're really struggling. So that is probably the main issue is that we want to ensure that people are reaching out earlier because it's much easier to start addressing those issues or even preventing them in the first place. So it's really patchy. Um, I, I wouldn't say that it's it's any more difficult now for people to kind of um, talk about mental health. I think people are more open, more receptive, um, but where employers have um, perhaps not have the same level of awareness or engagement around mental health makes it very difficult for their employees as a culture to talk about it openly. So there needs to be more done um, with the employers themselves, with the workshop owners, promoting that conversation in the workshop. Yeah, and I would say that this is definitely true of small to sort of medium organisations. So we find that our larger organisations have specific health and wellbeing teams. Um, they might sit within the sort of HR remit. And of course, they don't have the same sort of infrastructure with micro, small organisations in particular. So, and that is, that's a perfect space for Ben to be operating in. And uh, we can do so much with those employers and with those business owners to help them to be more aware around mental health, the impact of mental health, and then kind of knock on effect and I think the uh, perception of you know you wake up one day with a mental health issue um, it is probably something that the the industry ha perhaps doesn't understand that 
actually usually you have a, a situation where you have a few bad days and if you don't address those bad days over a long period of time that's when people start to run into trouble and it's often multifactorial in nature so you'll have lots of other things that are impacting on an individual that also contributes to their mental health issues and it could be to do with their personal life their families their financial situations so it's a combination of um, sort of issues that lead someone to feel a particular way and I think that's what we're very good at at Ben is getting to the root cause of the issues that somebody is, is sort of facing breaking that down into kind of manageable chunks to get them back on track of course because it's not just mental health issues that you're seeing it's it's all kind of issues what kind of things then does does Ben do to to sort of um, as you meant you mentioned the preventative measures um, what what kind of things do, does Ben do to try and help? So I think the easiest way to describe what we do is we provide a um, sort of support in sort of five main ways really. The first one is through online content that we provide for our website so that is a, a range of sort of self-help tips, advice and tools. People can also sign up to hear from us via email straight to their inbox um, and we try to provide content that is relevant to the industry and the issues that the industry is facing and what our perhaps insights are telling us. So um, a good example is that is that we know that the top the top industry issue is stress and um, followed by sleep so we will try to then create and develop content that's very relevant to the industry and, and the issues that they're facing um, the next way that we provide support is through a helpline so um, our helpline operates 8 a.m to 8 p.m Monday to Friday and we also have a text spend service which is for people that are struggling out of hours so from 8pm to 8am and also during bank holidays and over the weekend. Um, our helpline really is the single point of contact for somebody that's struggling so it might be a day-to-day -day struggle or there might be a crisis so they are there for a listening ear, they will provide immediate advice and guidance, they will signpost people, they will then look at what additional support Ben could provide for that individual. Um, the other thing that our helpline will do is provide urgent needs so if somebody is really struggling in the moment uh, so if maybe unable to put food on the table might be um, in, I suppose fleeing an unsafe situation like domestic violence could be at risk of homelessness they will alleviate that distress by talking to that person and will also administer financial support to keep people um, sort of safe and, and well um, we then have a, a support service which um, we have case managers so where we have um, an individual or a family that's got quite complex needs we have case managers that will be assigned to that person and the family to look at all the different issues that are, you know, sort of having an impact on that family unit or on that individual. We'll put an action plan together and we'll work through each of those areas with them. We then have a specialist services team and um, in that, that's where we host our mental health pathway. So we provide um, a digital CBT platform called SilverCloud. So that's readily accessible for people, um, fast track access through our website. We then also, this is where we um, provide support for therapies. So we'll have a range of different counselling, talking therapies and specialist therapies for bereavement, um, trauma, abuse, um, family and relationship counselling as well. Um, and then we also have a life coaching service, which and sits within our, our mental health um, pathway and life coaching is really a, a really great way when you're looking in the preventative space because you don't need to be struggling with your mental health it's if you want to make a change or there's something about your life you're not particularly happy with you can talk to the, the life coach they'll explore that with you they'll go through a, a sort of program of self-discovery and and um, work towards I suppose the changes that that, that individual is looking to, to see and to make um, and the final area that 
typically provide support for, and this is primarily through employers where they would pay for training, is we deliver a range of different sort of mental health focused really um, and, and well-being training for employers. So we will we, we do see that as part of our support because it is about empowering and educating um, in that sort of preventative space around mental health in particular. Yeah, I think um, you, you mentioned um, stress and a lack of sleep there. And I think a lot of people will probably be listening to that thinking, is that is that me? Maybe should I should I reach out? I don't know. How how do people know at which point to to reach out to Ben? So I think um, the most critical thing is if you feel like there is an issue or a problem, reach out to Ben because actually, no matter how small that is, we will help you to identify how big that problem is for you right now. And it might just be you needed a listening ear, or actually, we might identify that there is further support that you need. So. I think sleep is a great example because um, you know if you're struggling with sleep or if you feel tired or you've got lack of energy, you can pick up the phone and there's, there will be a root cause of why you are not sleeping well. There'll be other things that are, are also bubbling away. So if in doubt, I would say pick up the phone because that's what we're here for. So as you just heard there from Rachel, there are quite a lot of areas that Ben covers and a lot of opportunities for help if you need it. I think in a way it's best to think of Ben not as a last resort, but almost as an extension of the NHS. Like, if we all looked after our mental health in the way we looked after our teeth, there's no stigma around going to the dentist, no one's embarrassed about talking about their toothache, for instance, I think we'd all be a lot better off. But as I said in the intro to this feature, it's not just mental health issues that Ben deals with. I'll play you just one last clip from my chat with Rachel, where she answers my question about the effect that the last year and the cost of living crisis has had. I had promised myself not to stuff this episode full of statistics, but Rachel's answer does contain one quite sobering one. So let's take a listen. We've definitely seen, you know, 50% increase in the amount of financial assistance that we've distributed over the last 12 months. Um, one of the things that I didn't mention when I was talking about support services is that's where we administer our financial support. Again, through urgent need, um, we've got a range of different welfare grants that we administer for people that are struggling, that we will bridge a gap. We will support them with financial literacy to help them to understand how to better manage their income and expenditure. And then we have um, a special consideration sort of financial assistance that we provide for people that are experiencing significant life events. So things like catastrophic injury, uh, rehabilitation, um, it could be a terminal diagnosis. Um, so there's, there's a whole host of things that we use our charitable funded support um, to, to support people financially too. A 50% increase. I mean, that feels astonishing, quite frankly. I can only imagine that without Ben's support, a lot of families who depend on the automotive industry in one way or another would be a lot worse off this year. Now, before I move on to the conversation I had recently with the head of the IGA, Stuart James, I'll just end by letting listeners know that if you are struggling and feel you need support, Ben is there for you. Call 08081 or visit www.ben.org forward slash get help. This message comes from episode sponsor Monroe. When it comes to replacing worn out shock absorbers, you, the professional installer, know that durability is key to avoiding unwanted and costly comebacks. In fact, research shows that more than 40% of installers look for durability when choosing shocks for their customers' vehicles. Monroe understands this. That's why each Monroe shock absorber is engineered and manufactured to contain unique features that reduce leakages to make shocks last longer. 
Monroe stands behind its product with an industry-leading five-year warranty on all qualifying Monroe products. Choosing Monroe today is choosing the quality that endures for your shock and strut replacements. As Stuart from JPEX said earlier in this podcast, his ride-or-die tool isn't really a tool at all, but data. Accessing key data and having the ability to program replacement parts means being authorised to do so by the manufacturer of the vehicle you're working on. This comes down to a number of factors, but a key area of concern for the VMs is vehicle security. As vehicles are increasingly just computers on wheels, they're also more vulnerable to hacking, and so more suspicion is being placed on those repairing those, those vehicles. I mean, perhaps suspicion isn't the right word, but either way, the VMs are keen to ensure that independent workshops working on vehicles are what? Well, that's something that came up when I spoke to the IGA Stuart James about the upcoming CERMI scheme. Let's take a listen. For many, many years, if you can imagine, independent garages work on all makes, all models, all years, all types of cars. To access certain levels of information to repair those cars effectively for their customers you know, has been a challenge over the years, for many, many years. I suppose each manufacturer, vehicle manufacturer has a different way of accessing their information, a different way of regulating the security of that information and ensuring that vehicle theft doesn't increase in the UK. So in many cases, the approaches used have been, have been you know, correct. However, it's very frustrating and very difficult for garages to log in to a different vehicle manufacturer every time they want to get access to fix that car. What this system brings is one login through a conduit called a trust center that takes them to every manufacturer. So it's one route into all manufacturers. Uh, They still have to pay for the information in the same way as they do now but as I say, historically, this has always been a challenge. So, so this is, is, is like a, it's a revelation in, 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 in the ability of independence to repair cars. So are vehicle manufacturers then, are they trying to restrict access to security-related RMI, um, essentially in order to make life more difficult for independent workshops? Because surely they would like more drivers to go to franchise dealers. If all drivers, I mean, over 70% of all service and maintenance work is carried out within the independent sector. I don't know if you're aware of that. Um, and if, if, if all drivers went to franchise dealerships, their, their uh, lead times would be significantly larger than they are now. So, so the, the, the manufacturers, I mean, we are working very closely with the vehicle manufacturers on this, uh, which in itself... Um, is is quite unusual. Um, we are, you know, we're representing the the independent garage sector, and the vehicle manufacturers have been really quite quite agreeable uh, all the way through this. I think we can all see that, that this is the future, um, and and it will enable, I suppose, it will be strong for the UK and for the consumer. The rigorous checks that a technician has to go through and prove their integrity uh, can only be a good thing for our industry. So, I mean, many people have complained over the years that there's not really much in the way of rigorous qualification systems um, for, the, for the, the garage industry. Now um, we have the EV qualifications coming in to, that you need to work on EVs. And now with CERMI, have we kind of entered a, a qualification system through the back door? 
Well, in a, in a way, what this is doing, and I, and I have to be clear about this, the CERMI scheme is an integrity check for the owner of in the, or any business, any garage business that wants to achieve it. It is an integrity check for technicians. It's not a skills check. It is not a skills qualification. They, the technicians need to have two years' experience of, of working within the role, uh, and they need to prove that they are capable of doing what they're, they're asking to do. But we also, within this, we have locksmiths as well, locksmiths who, who, who program keys. But if they've been doing that role for two years in that position, then that is kind of agreeable under, under that, that level. There are other factors involved as well. If, if garages, I suppose, tune cars or in any way alter emissions, then that is not acceptable under the SAMI scheme. And that is a, that is a no, they will not proceed uh, with, with that. That is written into the standard. So there are some things that, that environmentally or for whatever reason are not acceptable within that SAMI standard. So, you know, it is directing a small change for independent garages to, to, to actually receive a huge return. Okay, interesting, interesting. So, so partly about reliability and, uh, and accountability on, on behalf of the garage. Yeah, CERMI is an integrity check on garage owners and, in, and technicians, which I believe is, is a great thing because most of them are really good people. You know, we, we only ever hear about the minor, minor, small minority of motor industry businesses that give the rest of them a bad name. So integrity or at the bare minimum, legitimacy, seems to be what the manufacturers are after. A valid concern or another hope for garages to jump through? Let me know your thoughts on the matter. Now, let's head to Tom for the word from the factors. The big news, of course, since we last spoke, is the much-anticipated announcement from GSF Car Parts regarding its ownership. There have been rumours and names circulating for months, but the National Motor Factor has finally confirmed its new direction, but with familiar names at the top of the tree. There are a few people in this industry who are automatically recognised from their first name, but Suk Pal is one of them. Having set up Eurocar Parts in 1978, he took ECP from a single car accessory store in London into the household name it is today. His return, alongside Steve Horn, has, it's fair to say, perked ears up in the industry. When we announced the news on LinkedIn, our page went berserk with clicks, reposts and comments. Certainly one of the most popular stories of the year. Sukpal has taken the position of executive chairman after his family office invested in GSF alongside a private equity firm. Steve Horn, meanwhile, becomes chief executive officer. In a press release I received, they both made statements. And I'm going to read them out to you. Sukpal said... This is a hugely exciting time for GSF car parts and I look forward to working with all our valued team members, customers and global suppliers as we start on this new journey together. I have huge respect for the GSF team, including the business's hard-working branch team members and head office colleagues. Relationships have always been at the centre of GSF's success and that's something we're going to double down on. Steve Horn, meanwhile, said... We will turn the business into a fast-growth, sale-focused company with our customers, suppliers and team members at its heart. This growth plan will deliver opportunities across the industry. New sales channels for our valued global suppliers, added convenience for important customers and new roles for our knowledgeable team members. Now, evidence of this strategy is already filtering through with plans to add significant number of new branches to the business and strengthen its current offerings over the coming months and years. 
Most reassuringly, though, is that the mystery surrounding GSF future and ownership of the business is now over, and I've been told jobs are secure, which is obviously fantastic. As one member of staff put to me, though, strap in for a rocket rather than a roller coaster. I've already seeked out an interview with Sukpal and Steve, so watch this space. I mentioned LinkedIn earlier. We now have 1,200 followers, which isn't bad considering that we launched the page just over a year ago. We can see that news such as this from GSF gets people interested. So if you have news that you want to share on our website and LinkedIn page, please do send it to us. Alternatively, if you haven't followed our page yet, search for Professional Motor Factor. Have a great month and I'll catch up with you very soon. Kieran, back to you. Thanks, Tom. That's all we have time for this month on the PMM podcast. Thank you to all our guests. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Freya. Thank you to the whole podcast team. Thank you, the listener. See you next month.